Last time on Toxic Workplace. Another two weeks passes by and I send another email. Two seconds later, I get a phone call and they say to me, the position has been filled. We want to thank you. I said, okay. The next morning at 945, I get a phone call. It's from the controller. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you know who this is? So I'm like, okay, obviously someone is communicating something, so we're good to go. I'm going to sign it, send it back. You know, they had told me they would reach out to me, and I was like, I haven't heard from them yet. So that's when I went to go thank them. And they said they'd like to bring me back for an interview. But I feel like now looking back, I don't know if I would have heard from them had I not followed up. Definitely cheap trying to get you for the like BOGO JCPenney sale for their employees. I was never trained on absolutely anything. I'm doing receptionist work. Third week rolls around and I'm like, okay, literally no one talks to one another. Fourth week, I'm like, this is not good. And there's this running joke in the office that you just never know who you're going to get. So be careful what you say. I mean, he really does paint his life to be this, you know, amazing, godly man. And if you just look strictly at his actions, not from a judgmental perspective, but what he says and does is entirely opposite of this image. I'm convinced he brought him back to torture him. My name's Carly, and this is Toxic Workplace, a podcast that gives a platform for people to share their stories of working in a destructive environment. I spent the first seven years of my career within a toxic workplace, and let me tell you, it kills your spirit. This podcast is here to expose what goes wrong in these companies and hopefully will spark a change to make it right. In this episode, we'll continue to listen as Michelle and Jen's story starts to unravel. The company they signed on with appeared polished and professional from the outside, but quickly discovered there was a complete lack of accountability, respect, and abuse of power from an extremely controlling and sometimes charming CEO. Let's talk about the revolving door that they have. In one year and one month, I've seen at least six people go. At least three of those six started and left in the time that I've been there. I know exactly why they leave. Our vice president and our project manager. The project manager thinks that anyone who's older than them is completely and totally incompetent and incapable of doing absolutely anything. And the vice president, he's just an ass. He's just terrible. He has no clue how to run a business. They just make people extremely uncomfortable. The company is really, really good about getting great people and extremely overqualified people in the door. They're really good at that. They create this facade that people are just drawn to. I'll give them that for sure. And that's probably the only credit I will ever give them. I wanted to take a deeper look into the painted facade. So I visited the company website. Their home screen features an image of a nicely renovated office lobby. There's a map of the United States showing that they do business nationwide and a stock image of what looks like a construction worker drawing out plans. It states that the company leads with trust, integrity, and transparency, which Jen says is laughable. They have a section that features their leadership, which includes the president, a handful of vice presidents, senior manager, and lastly, the controller. Based on their website and their social media pages, they look like a reputable company with excellent energy and leadership. It's amazing how we base our opinions on things from what some marketing professional created on the internet. 
Here's Jen talking about one of their top-notch leaders, Mark. Mark is the person that Sarah will go to to double-check things. And this guy has a two-year associates in accounting, which is fine, but not when you're my boss. And so she will have to pass by two people with two accounting degrees and experience and will go ask Mark how to do stuff, to double-check stuff, to make sure everything is right. So my position was assistant controller. That's what I left my first job for. I'm like the assistant to the controller. Entering bills is all I do. The point that Jen's trying to make is that she worked hard to get to where she is. She earned her bachelor's in accounting and spent years grinding away in public accounting, which is like boot camp for accountants. In her previous job, she prepared financial statements and audits for large companies. She was led to believe that she would be training to learn how to manage the controller position when Sarah retired. But instead, she's acting more as an assistant. She's restricted from seeing certain information, such as the payroll, and her day-to-day duties mostly consist of putting together invoices. Both she and Sarah have to double-check all of their work with Mark, who was not professionally trained as an accountant and who worked at an oil change place before coming to the company. And he's in his mid-20s. So our project manager, our two-year accounting associate degree holder, oil changing guy, he is the one that will make you feel like the scum on the bottom of his shoe. (sighs) Because he is the one who knows absolutely everything about the company. He's meticulous and that's his personality. But what he does is he creates this environment and this forum that you just don't want to be in because he wants you to feel like shit. You're just not good enough. No one's good enough. And if you're older than him, you're just not capable. You don't have the intellect. You don't have the ability. Oh, this is a kid. He's 25. Him and I did a personality test. <laughs> and this this is just unreal. But him and I did a personality test once. And our results came back the exact same. And he just about burst into tears and required me to do another test. So I retook, I took another test and the results came back the exact same. And he says, well, how is that even possible? You and I are nothing alike. As Michelle and Jen said in the previous episode, John has full control over all decisions of the company. It was John's decision to hire a 25-year-old to basically act as the CFO over the controller in the accounting department. Mind you, Sarah is close to retirement. To give authority to a 25-year-old kid with less qualifications to overlook the accounting department seems entirely backwards, which I think the president wants it that way. He clearly wants people in, quote, authoritative positions that won't outsmart him. We manage contracts, and oftentimes it's best not to tell John what's going on on the job site because it's such a nightmare. But he will go back and forth and say, I want to be involved, but then... You know, he'll complain that too much information has been given to him. So then over time, people are like, okay, we'll make sure we keep everything from you. I actually had an instant where I was in one of our weekly meetings and he was asking me the status on jobs. And I said, yeah, we actually ordered material for this job. We're ahead of schedule. And he's like, what? We ordered material for that job? I was like, yeah, Mark approved it. I had spilled the beans on something that I'm like, wait, this is literally what we do for every job. We always buy out all the material on our jobs like weeks ahead of time because of lead time. 
And so I was thinking I was saying something very normal that he knew was happening. And I'm like, wait, huh? I walked right into it. When I first started there, there would be meetings where he would have me in there. And then the same day, like maybe an hour later, he would have someone else in there that we were in a meeting together prior to see which one of us would say what. This was happening when this one client of ours was just really difficult to work with. And it was an issue that I brought up way ahead of time and was like, listen, this is what we need to do. And everyone just ignored me for months and months and months. And now it's a huge problem. We would have tons of meetings talking about this client and I would have solutions I thought that were necessary. And so I would go and update John the way I thought I needed to. And then eventually I was learning he was having meetings back to back to see, to basically corroborate what I had to say. Zero trust. And so because of that, with my background and Michelle's, they just always blamed it on us because they're like, well, you know, they were never trained. They don't have this kind of specific background. So, you know, it's obviously their fault because this problem just showed up with them being hired. You know, he made it a point to have weekly meetings with me. They're awful. And those are weekly, but, you know, he'll blow me off probably two three times. So they're not consistent at all. So he was like, it'll just be to catch up and to see how everything's going. But eventually I have to make an agenda for this meeting, this like 20, 30 minute meeting just to go over whatever. He never gave me a guideline of anything. Literally every week I just make stuff up. If he tells me to do something or to print off weekly reports for him, I don't do it because he doesn't ever follow up. And that is so unlike me. If the owner of a company tells me to do something, I will fall over myself to make sure he has it or she has it right when they need it. And for him, I know it doesn't mean anything. He doesn't actually care. He has no idea what he needs or what he wants. He just wants to command someone and have someone having reports for him at the end of the day. And I don't even flinch, which is just goes to show how little respect I have for the man. So he told me one time, he's like, hey, if you could text me before the meeting just to see if I'm in town, that would be great. Before our scheduled meeting that occurs every week with no surprise. I'm like, okay, sure. I'll bite. Okay, a few things I want to point out here as I piece this puzzle together. Let's look at the facts so far. As previously mentioned, John, the CEO, is never around. Both women say that he's rarely seen at the office and there have been weeks that have passed by and he's been completely MIA. Jen told me that John requested to meet with her on a weekly basis, which seems excessive. Jen's the assistant to the controller. She prepares invoices. Why would the CEO need to meet with her every single week? It's a strategy to collect information about what's going on in the office since he's never there. A sort of big brother tactic. He gets Jen to openly talk about what's going on and compares her story against what other associates are saying. When something's revealed that he doesn't like or he didn't know, there's a price to pay. John becomes angry. John puts people on the spot. People become more on edge. This creates a hostile environment because everyone will want to avoid being in the hot seat. No one knows who to trust and there's complete dishonesty for what's actually happening. On top of the lack of trust and integrity, the men in the office, who all hold higher authority over the women, are chauvinistic and demeaning. There's complete disregard for professionalism and respect towards the women. And this company, oh gosh, no, those men will let that trash fall to the floor and then look to you as if you did something wrong. 
I had a, one of the employees, a newer one, walk up to me and he says, who loads the dishwasher? Is it you? I said, no, it's not me. It should be you if, if you're finished with that cup. He looked at me as if I was crazy. He's like, oh, because I just never know what to do with my cups. So I set them in the sink. Well, why would you set your cups in the sink when the dishwasher is right next to it? Oh, because I thought that you loaded the dishwasher. Okay. All right. These men are terrible. These men are terrible. They use their money like no other. They oh, they use their money to hush people up, to get people fired, to do whatever it is that they need done. Again, not my type of people because they feel that they're just so much better than everyone else. It's just not okay. It's unacceptable. The hierarchy at this company is strategic. Professional experience and educational credentials held by the women bear no weight when it comes to decision-making. As Michelle will soon explain, the women that have been with the company for years cater to the men. They go on errand runs. Jen said she refused to be a lunch maid for the guys. One day, the vice president threw a $100 bill on her desk to cover his lunch and told her to keep the change. She refused to take the cash. Oh, the women there, <laughs> the women there. I think for sure I definitely give them a run for their money because I'm unaccustomed to that. I'm not familiar to whatever women that they are used to. I speak my mind. I'm very open-minded. I tell you what I have to say. I'm telling you what I'm thinking. And you're not going to push me around. I'm not going to drop what I'm doing to assist you. The women there do that. They go out, they get their lunches and bring them back to them. They drop literally everything that they're doing to assist them. It's just unreal to me. I'm talking from taking their temperatures to going to the store at 8 o'clock in the morning to get batteries for a keyboard. It's unreal. You would think that their mother worked there or something. There are just as many women in the company as men. There's two bathrooms, one man, one woman. Very simple. Men go over there, women go over there. Well, no, 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 no. Men go to the women's restroom because it's clean, because that's what women are supposed to do. They're supposed to keep their space clean. Okay, fine. Well, when men are coming over here to make it dirty, then what do we do? Oh, well, why don't you go clean the men's restroom and you can go in there? What? It is so terrible. I mean, there's so many things that just go wrong there, and I just, I don't understand it. You know, we have only two bathrooms in the building, only one literally one toilet for all the guys and one toilet for all the girls. So that's like seven people in one bathroom. It gets kind of gnarly, but the guys use the women's bathroom. And so it's been kind of like a funny joke that we're like, all right, I'm tired of walking to the chick's bathroom and seeing a guy walk in right before me. You know, I'm going to start laying my tampons everywhere to keep you guys out of here. And so they would make a mess of our bathroom, which is really nasty because we're grown adults. But Kim and I made this sign, this long sign of like rules for the bathroom for the dudes. It was like, you know, this is what you need to do if you do this and so on and so forth. And everyone got a kick out of it. It was, and it was like, obviously we were being serious because it needed to happen, but it was, it got everyone together in the office. This happened two months ago and I've been there for a year. And that was one of the first and only times we've actually had like some camaraderie in the office. And as mature as it is, is the bathroom. It's sad that that's what took it together. It was like a real problem for us to talk to each other. 
So John comes in the office, and just to tell you how little he's there, the bathrooms are also in the center of the building, and you have to walk past it. I mean, you have to willingly not take the time to see this giant sign about all the rules. And he comes in, and his, his profile is this. Who made this sign? And Kim was in the bathroom when it happened, and I was the only one who said something. I was like, oh, we all got together, and made this sign. It was a real issue, but we thought we would make light of it, you know? And he kind of laughed and he's, you know, like, I'm going to get some porta potties for the guys in the back and the girls can have these two bathrooms. And so I thought he was like, okay, that's funny. You know, that's annoying. I'll talk to them. And so like a few minutes later, I hear paper ripping and he sat there and ripped it up in shreds, like ripped it off the bathroom, like beast, like claw his paw down the door and rip up the paper. Kim came running up the hall and was like giving us all the look like, don't leave your offices, stay in there. He's pissed. That sign had been up for probably three months before he decided to take a walk around his office, which tells you how little he's there. I was like, Kim, what the heck happened? Was he upset about the sign? And she said, yeah, you know, he was so pissed. He was like, what if people come in the office? No one comes in the office. We have zero visitors. And, you know, he has his own nice bathroom in his office, which that's great. But I'll tell you, when I was sitting in my office, I have a window in my office and it faces this common area hallway. And whenever John is in the office, no exaggeration, he is always running, always in a hurry, always making sure I swear that like no one sees him. Like the faster he can be, the better. It's always very quick like hey hi hello guys okay it goes back into his office like he has never taken the time to just be and exist and so the day of the bathroom sign incident he he has his arm crossed and I see him from the hallway like walking real slow and it was the creepiest thing ever he had this look in his eyes that I'm like like I am not kidding it was so creepy and I was like oh he's he looks angry and I'm like yikes he's heading towards Kim's office and I realized he was waiting for her outside the bathroom to confront her about the sign. The message John is sending is clear. The women do not set the boundaries. You may be wondering what Sarah or Kim say about the disrespect they deal with or whether anyone else in the office notices the issues. Both Jen and Michelle say that's unheard of. In fact, Sarah, the controller, will give excuses for John and the rest of the guys. There's also what I call a workplace cycle of abuse, where tension builds, there's an altercation of some sort, and then it fizzles away and everyone goes back to being fake happy. When you don't accept what they're doing, they don't accept you. And everyone there is so brainwashed. Our controller, who's been there, I want to say, for at least 10 years now, completely and totally oblivious to absolutely everything. She has no clue what's going on, yet she knows. Some days I'm shocked because she plays her role so well. She is great at it. It's scary almost because she literally is just like, nothing's wrong. There's no problem here. Our HR person, she's a spy. That is her because the way that she switches from good guy to bad guy to spy to best friend, she does it effortlessly in, in moments. In moments. One moment she'll be the spy and two seconds later she's your best friend. Not a fan of it. Don't like it. Be who you are. A huge problem with this company is that no one has any morals or any type of value 
so they literally just do what is necessary at that moment. I don't like that. I wasn't raised that way. Michelle and I always joke like these people must go home, turn off whatever suit that they have on and just reset the next day as if nothing happened. They just come in and it's like new people, new day. Yesterday did not happen. And we're both like, are we working at the same place? Like I said, they tear you down. At least they try to. They really try to tear you down and make you question yourself because that's what they do. It's a mind control thing. It is the true definition of abuse. Gaslighting is when someone tries to convince you of something that isn't true. For instance, the CEO is impulsive in making bad decisions for the company and treating people unfairly. Yet the controller defends him and says he puts a lot of thought into his decisions and wants to make sure everyone's treated fairly. Gaslighting is used as a tactic to allow abuse, whether in the workplace or a personal relationship. Gaslighting leaves you confused and questioning your perspective and intuition. Another tactic of abuse is through financial means. Restricting expenses and being cheap makes bonuses and a free lunch feel like you've won the lottery. And mind you, all these events that are employee coordinated are paid for by the employees. We are not allowed to expense anything. I remember my first month, they ordered lunch to the office and I was like, oh, sweet. Like it was my first lunch with the team. I had been there for a month and a half and I was like so excited. I'm a people person. I love to talk at work and, you know, become friends with people. So I was like, sweet, this is finally my chance to learn about people's dogs or what they like to do or whatever. And so I put in my order and I'm so excited. I'm like, sweet, you know, this would be so great. And Kim texts me and she's like, hey, you know, you owe me 14 bucks. (laughs) Huh? Yeah, your lunch that you ordered? What? (laughs) I wouldn't have ordered lunch then if I had to pay for it. Yeah, so they did take me out to lunch, but it was just the girls and Michelle was just as new pretty much. So she was, we were both kind of quiet and just taking in the conversation. But I just thought, I was like, this lunch is really awkward. And anyway, so we were at lunch and I remember Sarah and Kim were fighting over who was going to pay for me. And I'm like, okay, just you're going to expense that later. Come to, no, there is no expensing that kind of stuff. So the expense process goes is Kim will enter into the system and then she reviews weekly expenses with Matt and he will approve what can be expensed or not. And he doesn't let anyone expense meals or drinks. His excuse for people not expensing things is that they would have to eat anyway. It's nuts. It's nuts. We have site superintendents who drive across the country all the time. I mean, like, living that truck driver lifestyle that you're just you never get to be home to see your family if you are it's like every two weeks you're not making a lot of money you know you're working with really tough people so it's a very tough lifestyle and they have no one to advocate for them they're treated like garbage they're treated like they're just these like just like these apes and I'm like I'm sorry I'm pretty sure these are the ones who are making sure your job gets done so that you get paid and you can put food on the table and so you know they're eating fast food meals they are sleeping at motel eights just this horrible lifestyle and they can't expense that or they get a hundred bucks a week for per diem they get 35 cents to the mile for travel unlike the standard which is 55 cents to the mile and you should be so grateful for that 35 cents we shouldn't even pay you at all 
You should just be so grateful. You are so, so lucky to work here. Do you realize that? Meanwhile, the people who are saying that make $110,000 with a $50,000. That's like their third bonus, and it's $50,000. The guy who owns the company thinks that you should be honored. It's a privilege to work for this company. It's an honor to receive a paycheck. You should be grateful that you're receiving a paycheck, which blows my mind, really, because I feel that when you own a business, when you have a business, when you have employees, you should really be working for them because if they're absent, your business does not move. So for them, like I said, from the top down to think that they're owed something just blows my mind. And you get that immediately, immediately. That's like the first thing that you actually feel because they see no flaws in what they do. They see no flaws in absolutely anything. They think that they are great. They think that they're great, yet they don't allow for any sort of camaraderie among the employees, and they're extremely tight with expenses that have any sort of employee benefit. They can't even cover a $9 sandwich. The employees of this company are conditioned to think that they're privileged to work for such a quote, amazing company. It's hard for me to believe that anyone working here would agree that this place is a privilege to work at. Unless, however, they're paying you the big bucks to keep your mouth shut. Here's what I'm hearing. In order to serve the agenda of the narcissistic CEO, the structure of the company must be set up so that people who willingly participate in his game are in positions of perceived power. They must be willing to contribute to the CEO's facade. They must be willing to have the back of an absent leader who is never around to lead and whose decisions create more confusion and chaos than anything else. These employees are similar to the CEO in the sense that they too are insecure. They're too insecure to take their own stand and stick up for what is right. They have a strong need to feel important and the president recognizes this. He recognizes that they'll participate for a price. As long as he's paying them a fat paycheck and keeping them in positions of perceived power, the game works. Key positions of power have little to no turnover. While on the flip side, the employees who don't buy into the game never stick around. Michelle and Jen clearly do not buy into this company facade, which left them as easy targets for those who do. I'm sitting at my desk and it's probably about 4 p.m. I leave work at 4.30. The controller walks over to me and she says, hey, do you have a second? I say, yeah, sure, I have a second. She's like, okay. Well, meet me in my office. I'm like, okay. So I get up. And I go meet with the controller. Talking to the controller. Hmm, let me tell you what she wanted. She wanted to do a performance evaluation at 4.10 in the afternoon, as if I don't leave at 4.30. She says, hey, if this runs over, can you stay? I look her dead in the face. I say, absolutely not. I'm off at 4.30 and I have a meeting at 5. Immediately, I'm on defense because I'm annoyed that you stopped me at 4.00 
in the afternoon as if I don't leave at 4.30 to give me an evaluation that you've had all day. You spent the entire day typing this evaluation. At this moment, I already knew. You guys clearly have no clue how to run a business because evaluations, one, are a two-way street. And then secondly, you should have at least said, hey, we're going to do this. I need at least a week. I go in there to her office and she's going over this sheet that she's typed up and it's comical to me. I'm trying my hardest not to laugh in her face. And she's going over these things. And one of the questions was, do you feel respected here? And I told her, I don't feel disrespected, but no, I'm not respected. I said, no one here respects me, my time, my space, my expertise. No one here respects absolutely anything. And it's not just me. They don't respect. No one respects anyone. That's just the culture here. She looked at me as if I said spoken some foreign language. She says, well, do you respect your coworkers and people here? I said, you know, I reciprocate all energy that's given to me. It's the truth. I'm not a disrespectful person, not even slightly. It's just not me. I'm not a negative person. It's not me. But what you aren't going to do is think that you're going to treat me a certain type of way and I'm supposed to be okay with it because that's not happening. That's just unacceptable. They expect you to deal with that type of abuse and I don't. So I'm reading through this evaluation and Nothing on this evaluation has anything to do with the work that I produce for them. Nothing. It's all personal. It's all personal. (laughs) And it's cracking me up the most because I'm like, you guys are so comical. And I'm trying to figure out what your end game is. Are you waiting for me to fill in these blanks so that you can have a reason to lay me off, quote unquote? Are you looking for a reason for me to leave? I'm confused as to why you're doing this evaluation this impromptu evaluation, there, there is a hidden agenda for sure. No one there has ever received an evaluation, ever. But I got one, an impromptu one at that. Employee evaluations should be well announced. Employees should have adequate time to review the questions asked by the company. Michelle was put on the spot 20 minutes before the end of her workday as a way to catch her off guard. Clearly, the controller wasn't looking for any well-thought-out, reflective answers. Both Michelle and Jen had been job searching. The day of our interview, Jen received a job offer to a new company and quickly put in her two weeks notice that same day. So I go in there at nine o'clock and I spit the words out, Sarah, I'm resigning two weeks effective Monday. And she was shocked. She said she was disappointed, but she understood completely and was very, very gracious. I got upset and cried, of course. And then it kind of got frustrating because she's asking me why I'm leaving and what got me to this point. And I wish I could have known this ahead of time. But then what I shared with her, she immediately invalidated everything I said. And I felt like a fool and felt like I overreacted. And that immediately I was like, oh, maybe it's just me. In that split second, I was convincing myself, like, maybe it's, it is just me. Am I emotional? Do I overreact? Do I hold on to things too much? Because I said, I don't feel respected. I don't feel that our office is respected. And she cut me off. I don't feel that way. I don't, I don't see that. 
I'm like, do we not work in the same office? You know, and she is so oblivious. And even saying, I'm, I'm like, you know, I cannot work with someone like John. He's so MIA. I'm not comfortable around him because I don't have enough time with him. Even if I did, I would never be comfortable because I just, there is just something off. And I can't deal with the fact that he has control over everything and you can't ever get a hold of him. And he knows it and doesn't change anything and willingly ignores you, will ghost you. Even when he says, call me, confirm this text with me, like you're some sort of secretary. Oh, you know, John has so many good qualities and he has so many bad qualities too. And, you know, you just kind of learn to go with the flow and get used to it and just kind of learn that's just how John is. If a company is unable to listen to the feedback from its employees, then it will never be able to address underlying issues that are causing conflict and turnover. A company doesn't listen when it doesn't care what employees have to say and doesn't want to be held accountable for the actions of its leader. Poor leadership leads to poor morale, and if a company chooses to ignore toxic issues, then it's never going to change. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Do you have a story you'd like to share on our show? Go to ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com and click on Be a Guest. Fill out the submission information and we'll be in contact. Your story will be told anonymously. All names are changed to protect the privacy of the company and its employees. We look forward to hearing from you.